Our reading today is from Matthew 6, Matthew 4, and Luke 22. Matthew 6, 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Luke twenty-two thirty-one through 34 Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three to- until you deny three times that you know me. The word of the Lord. All right, now you can sit for a while. Well, good morning again. I'm very happy to see everybody here the week of Thanksgiving. I hope that you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, This is the last week in the series that we have been preaching through, uh, the Lord's Prayer, called As It Is. And hopefully you're familiar with this image and you're familiar with what I'm going to say about this image. But the name of this series, As It Is, Living in the Vision of Jesus, is reminding us that the Lord's Prayer has been given to us by the one who came from heaven. And he has put in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven, to teach us that what he has given us in the Lord's Prayer is his vision of heaven. And it is his prayer that what is true in heaven, what is the reality that he lives in in heaven, would be true on earth. And so we see this message, we see this vision through the spectacles of faith that makes us clear what it means to to live as it is in heaven. And so as we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, we've been focused on each of these petitions, learning what it means to be living in the vision of Jesus, what it means not only to pray, hallowed be thy name, but to live for God's name. And we have seen that as we live in the vision of Jesus, we are consumed with magnifying the God, God's name. We are focused on making disciples, and we are committed to maturing as believers. As we come then to this very last petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we're going to see that though it comes last, it is certainly not the least. For in this petition, we are asking that God keep us in the vision of Jesus, that he would protect us from a great fall that would exclude us from being part of Jesus' great vision, a vision that will go into eternity, that he will keep us that we will persevere. One of the things that I have enjoyed watching over the last couple of years are some sports documentaries called 30 for 30. They pick up an interesting story in an athlete's life or in a team's life and, and examine it, not just for what happens on the field, but larger social commentary that comes out of that. And one of the ones that really arrested my attention was the story of Marion Jones called Push pause. Marion Jones, if, if you don't recall, was, one of the, was the fastest woman on the planet. In uh, the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, she won three gold medals and two bronze medals. She was decorated. She was the top of the game. She was the fastest woman 
And she was famous, a well-known name, a, a name that, that we look to and say, grow up and be like Marion Jones, chase your dreams like Marion Jones. But then a few years later, she had a terrible fall. It was discovered that she had taken performance-enhancing drugs, steroids, that she thought would not be found. And when that evidence was conclusive, she was stripped of all of her medals. She was stripped of all of that prestige. And she was humbled and humiliated. No longer this sterling star and example. So in this documentary, she has made it her mission to try and reach young people before they make a fatal, stupid decision. She calls it pushing pause. Hit the pause button before you do something that could have these disastrous consequences. Just take a moment to pull back and think about what you're about to do. It's her desire to help people take, uh, prevent themselves from making those fateful, destructive decisions. The question of this documentary is a pressing one. I think it, it presses on each one of us in our faith life. Let me put it in another word. Will we finish well the course of faith? Will we finish well the course of faith? That is a question that we cannot take lightly. We have an even closer example in Scripture of a person who should have been the most sterling example of following Jesus. His name was the Apostle Peter. And on the night when Jesus was arrested, he, after protesting, I will never deny you, I will go to death, I will go to prison, is found denying that he knows Jesus three times. Mark tells us that he even calls curses upon himself, denying that he knows Jesus. This is the Apostle Peter. That was a catastrophic fall. What confidence can we have that we will not fall disastrously from the faith we believe in today? What confidence do we have that we will persevere? The future is so large and unknown. Can we know when we leave this earth that we will come to stand before our Lord with the crown of life? These are urgent questions. It's fears like this that make the final petition of the Lord's Prayer so crucial for our faith. The Lord knows that we are unable to secure our own perseverance. He knows that we cannot assure ourselves of our salvation. And that is why he teaches us to pray daily, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In this petition, we are being taught to put our trust not in ourselves, but in God's persevering grace. Indeed, this petition offers us three critical reorientations that helps secure us in God's persevering grace. I believe this message is critically important for all of us today. Let me ask you, do you feel beset by an inordinate desire or temptation that you don't know how much longer you can resist? Do you feel defeated 
by your sin? Do you have confidence that tomorrow you will not be brought into a grievous temptation? Perhaps, do you feel that you have failed so greatly in the Christian life that you can't be used by God? If any of those are true, this message is for you. The final petition gives us the answers that we need. In this petition, we are going to see the story of Peter alongside what we are told in the Lord's Prayer so that we will see clearly that God strengthens and secures us in persevering grace. Let's now turn to this petition and look at it in detail. So there are three reorientations the sixth petition achieves to secure in us God's persevering grace. And if you have your bulletin with you, there is a a handout that will help you follow along with the sermon with the main points. So as we look at these three orientations, the first reorientation, it reorients us from our denial to his sympathy. The first reorientation of the sixth petition to secure us in God's preserving grace is this. It reorients us from our denial to his sympathy. This is found in those words, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Those are puzzling words, if you think about them, to pray. And they have caused no shortage of discussion among theologians and commentators about what it means to pray to God, lead us not into temptation. The reason for this is, doesn't God tell us he does not tempt people? We are told in the book of James, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Why do we have to pray this if we are told right here that God does not tempt? Well, I think there is no contradiction here if we understand clearly that the temptation that's being talked about in the Lord's Prayer is not from God, but from our sinful desires. Temptations appeal to us not because we are godly, but because we are ungodly. A pornographic website or a pornographic magazine or a morsel of gossip, they play on our ungodliness. They prey on our sinful nature. And what tempts us about them is not something that God has given us. It is tempting to us because we have chosen to find satisfaction and pleasure not in the will of God. If, there, if God were, well, God is in this room, but imagine somebody perfectly godly. They would essentially not face those temptations the way we do. We see this in the James passage when it says that he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It is the desire in the individual that is made inordinate and leads to temptations. Temptations that lead us away from God. So what is this petition actually saying? Well, the commentator D.A. Carson suggests that it's a a special kind of 
grammatical device called a litotes, which I had to look up how to even pronounce it. But it's something that we use very often. It's saying something by negating the opposite. So, for example, instead of saying, I'm good, I might say, I'm not bad. A litotes is saying the opposite of what you're actually saying in a way to emphasize the opposite. So when you say you're not bad, you're actually saying you're good. When you say there weren't a few, you're saying there were many. And so the idea here is that when we are saying, lead us not into temptation, we are saying, God, lead us away. Lead us into righteousness. Lead us from where our sinful desires will not control us. As Carson comments in detail, lead us not into temptation is a litotes. Into temptation is negated. Lead us not into temptation then, but away from it, into righteousness, into situations where far from being tempted, we will be protected and therefore kept righteous. As the second clause of this petition expresses it, we will then be delivered from the evil one. So the idea then is that we are asking God to lead us in godliness and away from our ungodly temptations and their power. But if we look at this petition, we recognize again the frailty of our human nature. This petition tells us that we are easily temptable creatures and tells us that we need to ask for help or we will fall. That's the implication of this petition. Lead us not into temptation is telling us if you're sober in understanding yourself that you are susceptible to temptation and you need to ask for help to overcome the power of temptation. But we reject this. I mean, our our flesh rejects that we are weak and temptable creatures. And how do we do that most often? We choose denial instead of self-awareness. Now, I'm going to drop a a bombshell here. Something that will probably make you gasp. I'm an overeater. I'm an overeater. Why didn't that make you gasp? Why isn't that hard for you to grasp that I'm an overeater, that I eat too much, I go back for too much food? It's obvious, right? I carry the pride of an overeater around my belt. But I want you to tell you something. That's really hard to admit. That's hard to say. I'm an overeater. Because to say I'm an overeater moves me from living in the cush, uh, uh, innocuous, desensitized world of denial to saying, I have a problem. I have a temptation that I am not able in my flesh to resist. That's a hard thing to do. And it may seem comical to you, but that was the hardest line of this sermon for me to write. What are your temptations? What are your 
weaknesses. Gossiping. Alcohol use. Abuse. Enabling. Overspending. Pornography. People-pleasing. Self-indulgence. Lust. Judging. Envying. Manipulating. Legalism. Fornicating. Addictions. Anger. Laziness. What are your temptations? What are your weaknesses? And yet so much of the time, those words don't land because what do we do instead? We say, yeah, but. Or you don't really understand. And we give a thousand excuses to buttress up our denial. And as long as we're in denial of that which tempts us and overcomes us, we are absolutely inoculated from the sympathy and the power of the gospel to remove the temptation. Look at Luke 22 as we look at the story of Peter. Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, calling him by his his first name, the devil has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, that you would deny me three times before the crow crows, or the rooster crows this day. And Peter responds to that warning from his Lord who loves him and says, Lord, I am ready to go to prison and to die for you. Those are words of denial. When the Lord says, this is a temptation for you, and you say, not me, I am strong. You are in denial. When we read the scriptures and it says sexual immorality will take you out of the kingdom of God, and we say, and yet we are in pornography or lust or an office affair. We are choosing denial rather than the salve of God's sympathy to call you to repentance. And that's what Peter does here. Look at Gethsemane. The night that Peter was warned, he slept. He slept. He was told he was within hours of denying his Lord, and we find him three times having to be woken up with the words, the flesh is weak, the spirit is strong. Pray that you not be led into temptation. And he slept so confident, so deep in denial, that what Jesus said would ever be true of him. Denial is such a powerful force. Denial destroys us because it cuts us off from help. Why does everybody in AA have a terrible story? Why does everybody in AA have a horrible story of disease, of liver disease, of losing their job, of losing their family? 
because their denial took them to the point where everything was gone. Rather than seeking help, that's what denial does. Denial is so strong that Peter denied his Lord's three times. And where was he? Was he far away? He was in the earshot of Jesus. He was so close to Jesus when he denied that he knew him that in Luke we are told Jesus turned around and made eye contact with Peter. His denial kept him from the strength that the Lord had to provide. So this petition tells us, or I should say, Peter's denial ensured his fall. And it does the same for us. This petition requires us to reorient ourselves from our denial to his sympathy. The first step in dealing with people with addictions is to say this, my name is X and I am an alcoholic. Until the denial is destroyed, you will not seek help. The whole reason for that is to remind us that we need a higher power. And the Lord's Prayer is doing that in, the, in these words, lead us not into temptation. We need a higher power. And the good news is we have three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our Savior knows the power of temptation and the power to resist it. That's what's so beautiful about the incarnation. We are not being told this from someone on high in heaven looking down from his throne in a perfect, temptation-free environment. We are told this from one who was born, who took on flesh, who lived amongst us, who had a stomach that got hungry, who had eyes that could appreciate beauty, who desired pain-free and comfort. And he walked through this life facing temptations that are greater than ours. Forty days without food, and the devil said, you know what you can do? Satisfy yourself. Turn that bread with one word that's totally in your power and eat. And Jesus resisted that. More than that, he was hanging on the cross in unspeakable agony, blood spewing and pulsating, his nerves screaming from the nails. And around him, the devil made sure there were many who said, if you are the Son of God, save yourself. Take yourself off that And you know what the thing is? If Jesus wanted to, he could have. The Perhaps the hardest thing for Jesus to do was to resist his power to save himself. And yet he resisted that temptation to his dying breath. Why? So that he can save you so that he can sympathize with you so that he can strengthen you with whatever you need to say no to this ungodly temptation 
Why would we choose denial when we have a Savior who has borne the full power of temptation and been victorious in it and then offers all of his power and love and counsel to you to resist? We must reorient ourselves from denial to receive his sympathy. Second, this petition achieves, secures us in God's persevering grace by reorienting us from our powerlessness to his strength. And we see this in deliver us from evil. Now, if you have various translations or if you've grown up looking at other translations, you'll notice that this petition sometimes renders it deliver us from evil, and sometimes delivers it, uh, renders it as deliver us from the evil one. An interesting question. Is it evil, or is it evil one? Now, we need to, uh, to give you a little history on translations. The King James is very influential. So we're all, we've all been raised up on hearing how the King James Bible renders things. So it takes time sometimes when there is perhaps a translation that's a little bit more accurate. Certainly the King James Deliver Us From Evil is, is, is fine and adequate for expressing this, but as we have gotten a better understanding of the Greek that lies behind the New Testament, it is probably a superior translation to say the evil one. And here's why. The Greek for evil is both specific and masculine in, the, in this petition, which means it, is, it says the evil, the, the evil. So as it's translated the evil and it's masculine, it is most likely meant to be rendered the evil one. So what we are being told here in this petition is that the evil one is what we need deliverance from. Now that doesn't mean that deliver us from evil uh, is not a fine enough translation. It only makes it clear that we are dealing with far greater evil than perhaps we imagine. The evil one represents the worst evil. Thus all other lesser and more generic evils are included. He is known as the evil one. The evil one. Now whenever somebody just gets the title, the evil one, that, that means they're, they're the supreme. They're the example. They're the standard. They're the greatest. It's like when somebody says, the quarterback. And you're all thinking of Alex Smith, you know? Right? The greatest quarterback that's certainly uh, playing the ball today. <laughs> he's, he's, he's on the Chiefs. So, anyhow. But the, if, if you ever come to the place where you're called... The preacher. Well, yeah. That's what I am. I'm the preacher. Or if you're the businessman, the point is that you are the consummate of that description. And Satan is called the evil one. He is more evil than you can imagine. He is more evil than Hitler. He is more uh, frightening than any awful, horrible, scary movie. He is the evil one. He can be known simply as that. We are powerless against the evil one. That is something that we resist. 
We don't want to believe that the evil one has power, but he is so powerful that if we were to face the evil one, we would be checkmated so fast. It reminds me a little bit of a, a time when I was a kid and I had my cousin who was about four years old. We had a, um, a um, flagpole that was laying down in the yard. It was a big flagpole. It was 40 feet tall. And we were going to need to get a big tractor to help lift this thing up and set it on its stand. And we told my four-year-old cousin that we needed him to lift up that flagpole and put it up straight. And the four-year-old ran straight there, put his arms around it, started lifting and grunting and having a hard time. The, the point is that in his mind, he had the power to lift that flagpole that weighed thousands of pounds. And yet he was completely unable to even budget. The, the point for us to understand is when we talk about the evil one, we are utterly unable. We are unmatched by him in every category. Peter, in his uh, first epistle, calls the evil one a roaring lion. And the reason that you need to think of him as a roaring lion is you, will f- you should feel less confident about dealing with the evil one than if you were dropped into a lion's cage who hadn't, been eating, hadn't eaten for three weeks. A roaring lion you are no match for. How much more will you be foiled by the evil one? That is why we pray, deliver us, not help me. Deliver us. Look at the story of Peter again. Jesus says that Satan has demanded to have you to sift you like wheat. To sift you. It means to run him through the sieve, to disintegrate him. Okay? And here's the thing. How long did it take Satan to sift Peter like wheat? Just a few hours. And what? Did Satan ultimately need to make Peter deny his Lord? A servant girl. A servant girl. The, the furthest, the, the lowest of the low on the, on the socioeconomic hierarchy of all things in this culture. A servant girl said, aren't you a Galilean? Oh, no, 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 no. Don't even know the guy. He was sifted like wheat within hours of his blustery confidence. This petition reminds us that we face extremely strong spiritual enemies and that we need a Savior. And we need a Savior who gives us the spiritual weapons to stand. It's important to recognize that the evil one works first to separate us from spiritual weapons. You know who's under attack? The person who's being persuaded to skip church. The person who's being persuaded not to read their scriptures. The person who's running out of time to pray. The evil one is going to push you away from the gospel, from the scriptures, and from the people of God because they are spiritual weapons given to you to help you persevere. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now we could go through all of these in a multitude of sermons, but for now, the armor of God has been given to us to help us to stand. The strength of God has been given to us to put on as the armor of God. Let's just consider the shield, which we are told is the shield of faith. And that is given to us to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And also the sword, which is the spirit, which we are told here is the word of God. These are the armor that God has given us to withstand the evil one. The shield of faith and the spirit, which is uh, his power is found in the word of God. You see when we, we see the, the temptations of Jesus where he faced the evil one in his, in his flesh, in his humanity. What was it that Jesus was able to combat the temptations of the evil one with? He pressed harder into his faith, knowing that God was his father And what he trusted more than anything else was that God loved him and would do best for him. He pressed into his faith. The shield of faith is very present. And then when he combats and counterattacks with the evil one, what does he do every time? He quotes scripture. The sword of the spirit is what is used to hold back the evil one and to resist the temptation. This petition reorients us then from the powerlessness of trying to fight the evil one and the temptations in our life with our own flesh, our own gumption, our own bootstraps, and instead causes us to press deeply into the gifts of God in the gospel, the armor of God, which alone gives us the strength to stand. The third reorientation. The sixth petition secures us in God's persevering grace in that it reorients us from our insecurity to his sovereignty. Now this requires us to go a level deeper. But notice that we are praying the Lord's Prayer. We are praying to our Heavenly Father to lead us out of temptation and to deliver us from the evil one. We have the intersection here of three things. God, the human will, and the powers of evil. And we are being told in this petition that God is greater than and over our will and the forces of evil. We are being given a clear demonstration of the sovereignty of God. The Lord's Prayer makes us face our condition In daily bread, we see that we are beggars. In daily forgiveness, we see that we are sinners. And in this last petition, we see that we are in danger of ruin. We pray then because we need a Savior. 
But to trust in a Savior to care for us always requires him to be a Savior that can never fail. We need a Savior that is more than just powerful. If the war on terror or, on the, or the war on drugs teaches us anything, is that having unlimited resources, having unlimited power to fight a scourge means nothing if you never have control. When we pray this petition, the reason that we can be secure is because we know that we are not just praying to the most powerful one, we are praying to the one who is sovereign, the one who is in control. With the threats that we have, how can we hope to persevere? Only by praying to a sovereign God. And how do we see that he is sovereign in this petition? First of all, we see that he is the God of the future. We pray to God to lead us because he already knows where we're going. He already knows the temptations of tomorrow and the next day. He is the God who knows the history that is written, but just as importantly, he knows the history that is yet to be written. And for him, he knows both as easily as the other. Second, we see that he is the God who controls all things. Go back to that passage in Luke. We're getting a very interesting insight into, into the heavenly throne room. We are told that Satan demanded to sift Peter like wheat. He had to ask permission to sift Peter. Demanded, maybe, you know, a, a, a gutsy thing, maybe bold, but he is still asking for consent. He is still asking for permission. Satan's sifting of Peter was on the leash of God. Because God had to accept the request and he determined the limits of the request. Next, when we look at that temptation, who is it that is leading Jesus straight into the evil one? The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do you see who's in control in these passages? We see the evil one and we see temptation having great power, but they are not the ones that are in control of these scenes. The one who is in control even of the temptations and the work of the evil one in Jesus' life and the one who is in control of Satan sifting Peter like wheat is the same. It is the one enthroned in heaven, our heavenly Father. And third, we see that he is the God who works all things together for our good. It is because he is sovereign, it is because temptations and the powers of the evil one are ultimately subsumed and and overcome by his sovereignty, that he is ultimately in control of these things, that we are able to have complete confidence in what Paul says in Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who were called according to his purpose. Not just all good things, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Even your temptations, even your failures, even the attacks of the evil one in your life are part of the all things. And it's because God is sovereign that he can promise you, I will work that out for good. 
I will work that out for good. If we can't trust that promise, it is very hard to pray with confidence this prayer. God's sovereignty does not equal we will never have trouble. But it does mean that we will ultimately have victory. Peter was sifted, but not lost. Peter denied Jesus, but he was not forsaken. Why? How? Verse 32, Jesus says, But I have prayed for you. He was delivered from the evil one because Jesus determined he would not be lost. He is doing the same for all of us. Listen again to Romans chapter 8. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? You are facing temptations. You are facing attacks from the evil one. The same one who interceded efficaciously for Peter to keep him from ultimately falling is right now interceding for you who are in the Lord. Amen. By his sovereignty, God can turn the worst defeats, the worst evils, the worst failures in our lives into demonstrations of God's sovereign love. Article A is the cross. The cross was the the, the culmination of the evil one and the evil hearts of all sorts of evil people destroying the Son of God, destroying the righteous one. And God, we are told, used all their evil intentions, used all their evil plans, and even used the wickedness of the cross itself to turn it into a place of mercy and forgiveness and salvation. That is a sovereign God. He calls the end from the beginning. He tells Peter before he has gone through the fall that he will turn and strengthen your brothers. Peter was restored fully and used to help strengthen others facing temptation. Think about that. The the end of the story for Peter was not that he denied Jesus. The end of the story was that Peter became the apostle who took the gospel, who ministered grace here and wide. And so as you struggle with temptations, as you struggle with the attacks of the evil one, let me say this. God not only can give you the strength, but he can also redeem the failures. Perhaps you are somebody who can speak to someone who is about to fall, oh, please, turn, turn now. Perhaps you are somebody who can hold another person in accountability who is struggling with temptations that you have struggled with. Oh, please, don't go there. It looks good, but it will destroy you. Perhaps God has a plan for you to redeem even the failures. So as we, as we finish up, this petition reorients us from denial to his sympathy, from powerlessness to his strength, from insecurity to his sovereignty. Though we are weak, we pray this petition with great confidence. Not in ourselves, but in our Savior. 
When we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are praying not just to a father who can. We are praying to a father who in his son has already delivered us. Colossians chapter three, uh, chapter 1 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. The final petition then reminds us daily that no matter what may come against us, no matter what temptation may haunt us, we will overcome them all in the persevering grace of our Heavenly Father. He promises that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This presses the question, do you know that you are in Christ Jesus? This inseparable, all-victorious love of God is only for those who know and confess Jesus as their Lord. Have you confessed him? Have you put your faith in him? Paul explains what it means to believe in Jesus simply in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Deliverance is offered to you. Believe in him today and he will lead you in righteousness. And he will deliver you from evil. So this concludes our series on the Lord's Prayer. We have looked at this prayer as the vision of Jesus, and as such, this prayer is meant to be the vision of his church. I wanted to start my pastorate here at River with this series because I wanted to establish early what my vision for this church is. My desire as your pastor is that we at River become increasingly known as a church living in the vision of Jesus. What does this mean? It means we are a place committed to making God's name great, multiplying disciples for Christ's kingdom, and maturing God's children in the spirit by growing daily as giving believers, forgiving believers, and persevering believers. In short, we are a people who live in and live out the gospel. Are you ready to live in the vision of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that where we are weak and frail and powerless and easily overcome, you are strong and mighty, sympathetic and sovereign. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would call us to rest in you. For those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray, bring them to a place where they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord and has saved them from their sins. And let them experience day by day your deliverance and your arm, which is never short to save. And so, Father, we all pray together as your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.